0: So we're continuing our, our summer series. It's called My Favorite Summer. We're looking at some favorite scripture passages, uh, some from me and some from some other folks in the church that we, we have been and will continue sharing. Um, if you have your Bible handy, flip to Psalm 10. If you don't have your Bible handy, get out your phone and find Psalm 10 somewhere. You can go to like Bible.org or BibleGateway.com. That's a good one. Um, you'll want to be there because we're actually going gonna to take a few minutes just to actually chat in small groups in just a minute, so... Uh, I tell you what, uh, just for the sake of time, when you get into your small groups, just discuss the first three questions, okay? Um, The first three, and you can be pondering those as I read. So I'll go ahead and read, then we'll break up into groups. All right, here we go, Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten, he has hidden his face, he will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself, you have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer, call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his hand. I'm sorry, from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. You're probably going pastor West, like why in the world would that be one of your favorite psalms and i'll share that with you in in just a few minutes but i want you to break up into groups and answer if you have time you get to number four but just the first three questions so what is the psalmist struggle he shares it very openly um how does the psalmist describe the wicked and then what does this psalm reveal about god okay so let's take no more than 10 minutes just break up into groups around you you know, that can be a group back there, one kind of large group. And as soon as you can make your way back or over here or whatever, and a group in the back, and how about a group right here? Does that work? Ten minutes, you better get moving. Psalm 10. Thank you, guys. We'll be back in just a minute. So this psalm is one of my favorites uh, for a couple reasons. One is because, it, because of what it speaks to God's character and his, uh, his heart for the fatherless. Uh, Another reason is just because of sort of the honest confession that the psalmist makes. So what did you guys uh, come up with for number one? Uh, What is the psalmist's struggle? Absolutely. Thank you, Adam. So, uh, yeah, it it is a complaint, if you will, against God, and it is one that we all are probably familiar with at some point in our lives, whether it's injustice we feel like has been done to us or injustice in the world, we look up and we go, God, where are you? Don't you care about what's happening down here? Verse one, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? He asked twice, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Look down at the end of verse five. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. Now, other words, you are so far removed from what's going on. It is an, it is an honest confession of a man of faith. By the way, the Bible here is not saying that God is far removed. That's the perception of the man. Okay, I just want to be real clear. God is not far removed, and we will see that. But that is the perception of man. Um, there are a few things I want to point out about the, the person or people who are described as the wicked. But what did you guys come up with? What kind of caught your attention about the wicked? What did you share in your groups? They're proud. Arrogant. They don't think God exists. Yes. Yeah, and so I want to point out three. If you, if you take notes in your Bible, that, that's awesome. You can write these down. Three things I just want to point out. First, the, the wicked seeks his own personal gain. He, he's out for number one, as they say. Uh, look at verse two. The wicked hotly pursue the poor, and they devise schemes. Notice in verse three, they are greedy for gain. The one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In other words, the the less other people have, and the more he has, the happier he is. Right? He's he is about himself and building his own kingdom here the second thing that and you guys mentioned is that he acts like there is no god we just said in verse four his thoughts are there is no god in the pride of his face the wicked does not seek him all his thoughts are there is no god you see if we tell ourselves that there is no god or or that he's not watching then we will use people to get what we want in this life look at verses 9-11, 9 through11. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor, He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, "God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it." And that leads us to the third point I want to make about the wicked. I believe it is implied here that the, the wicked are actually described as people who are supposed to be God's people. It's not that the wicked do not believe that there's a God, because look, what does the verse left to say? God has forgotten. He has hidden. He will never see it. God exists. He's just not paying attention. And unlike other psalms where the where psalmist will point out, you know, the, the enemy, the ungodly, the pagan nations. He does not do that here. This is an observation of what this man of faith sees going on around him with his own people. There are consequences that his people will face because they are living like there is a God, but he is not paying attention. Verse 13, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account. It's not that there's not a God, it's just that he's not going to hold me accountable for what I'm doing. So who then are the wicked today? If I asked you, if a question I asked you was, who do you relate to in this passage? You'd probably go, I relate to the psalmist. I know exactly how he feels. I want to put a spin on this. You and I are the wicked. We should see this in ourselves. A desire for selfish gain is what leads us to commit any sin. Because our sin it is motivated to bring us some temporary happiness, some personal comfort. And when we sin, we act like we believe that there is no God. Or maybe there there is a God, but when I do this, he he will turn away. He will not notice what I'm doing. And a lot of times we think that because we haven't seen any consequences for our sin yet. I'll keep having sex with my girlfriend because I've been doing it and God hasn't struck me down. I will continue to be a Poor steward of my finances because God hasn't really shown me any repercussions from that yet other than just enormous credit card debt, but you know, I'm in good health. I'll keep looking at things on the computer because, well, my computer is, doesn't have a virus and I haven't seen any negative consequences of it. He must not be paying attention. So church, the reality is every time we commit a sin, it is for personal gain. That's the, that's the very definition of sin. It's, it's selfish action and thinking. And we think God will turn the other way. So the, the wicked live like God is not paying attention, that he does not care. And honestly, church, a lot of times it might even appear in our own lives that, that that's the truth. That's why the psalmist says, God, why are you so far away? Why are you so high above and not... Engaging with what's going on? Why are you not bringing justice here? That's the tone, at least, of the first 13 verses. But then it's like the psalmist comes to his senses in verse 14, and he realizes, oh, you know what? No, I do recall what God has done. I do know the character of God. And so I want to point out just three quick things about the character of God in this passage. Actually, before I do that, you, you tell me, what does the psalm reveal about God? You guys had some discussion around it. He's merciful. He's patient. Or if you want to answer, what, do you, what does this reveal about God? And then give us the verse you're referencing. He is hearing. Yes. He is a helper. He is just. I want to point out a couple of things real quick. Just three things I want to point out. Verse 14, you do see So while the psalmist says, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing something about this? Do you not see what's happening? He comes to a senses and says, oh, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands to the helpless commits himself, to you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. God always sees what we see, but we don't always see what God sees. We would do well to remember that. So many times we see something and we go, God, where are you? God always sees what we see, but we do not always see what God sees. And just because we do not see God working doesn't mean that he's not working. So number one, God sees their pain. And number two, God hears their cry. Look at verse 17. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen Their heart, you will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So he sees their pain and he hears their cries. This is not new. And I hope you underline fatherless twice. It's in verse 14 and again in verse 18. You know, we were in Genesis 3 a couple weeks ago, the fall of man. And we talked about how you can trace everything that is wrong in this world. Everything the psalmist is pointing out can be traced back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Their sin brought pain and suffering into this world. Do you know there are 150 million fatherless children in the world today? 150 million fatherless children in the world today. And that is not not news to God. It is not surprising to God. The scriptures from start to finish show God's compassion, his heart, for the fatherless. I'm going to run through just a handful. You don't have to flip there, but if you want to write them down, that, you can write them down and look them up later. Exodus 22:22, 22, 22, God says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. From the very beginning of laying down the law, he shows himself to be a protector and defender of the fatherless. Deuteronomy 10 says this, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God. So it talks about the majesty of God. And then here is the very next verse. He executes justice for the fatherless. God demonstrates his majesty by caring for the fatherless. Isaiah 1, God tells his people that he will not listen to their prayers unless they take care of those in need, and he calls out, bringing justice to the fatherless. In Jeremiah 7, in speaking of the Lord's house, he says, "Do not come, and you cannot come into my house unless you care for the fatherless." Psalm 68:5 says that God is the father to the fatherless. We can keep on going. Probably the one that is most familiar is in James, New Testament. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. I think a lot of times we get so hung up on that word religion. <gasps> religion? We shouldn't be using that word in the church. We, like, we, we're missing the point when we focus on that one word. Replace religion with faith, with Christianity. Pure Christian faith is caring for the fatherless. It cannot be exhibited any greater than that. So it is clear from the scriptures that our God who lives forever, the Lord is king forever and ever, that he has a heart, he is a defender of the fatherless. And that is the third thing I want to point out, that the Lord reigns supreme He is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. And he will bring justice for the oppressed. So then what are the implications for us today? Individually and as the church. I want to quickly share three things with you. You can write these down if you want. Number one, the Christian is accountable. The Christian is accountable. And that is clear. There might be times where we think, well, God's not watching. He's not paying attention. He doesn't care about how I behave. He doesn't care if I care for the poor and the needy and the orphan. But the psalmist ends with the fact that God is king forever and ever, and he will execute justice. The second thing I want to share with you, the second implication is that the cross is the answer. You know, we live in a broken, sinful world, and because of that, we are broken and sinful People, we fit the description of the wicked in this psalm. But here's the great news. Every sin you have ever committed or ever will commit, God has already executed justice for you. And it was executed on the cross. Here's the other Beauty in the answer being the cross. At the same time that God executed justice, He made us His sons and daughters. Before coming to Christ, you and I were spiritual orphans, we were slaves to sin and fatherless. And not because of anything we've done. But because of who God is, he sent his son to walk among this sinful, broken world that we live in. To live a perfect life, only to be nailed to the cross to pay for our sins. But that wasn't the end of the story. He was buried and three days later rose from the dead. It is through faith in him that we are no longer orphans. We are sons and daughters of the king. The third implication is that the church then is to act. So the Christian is accountable, the cross is the answer, and the church is to act. If you consider what God has done for us, the spiritual orphan, in making us his son or daughter, The natural thing for us to do then in this lifetime on this earth is to do the same for those who are fatherless. Let me read to you some statistics. 63% of youth suicides are committed by the fatherless. 85% of children with behavior disorders are fatherless. 68% of rapists. 73% of teen murderers. 71% of high school dropouts. 90% of all homeless and runaways are fatherless. It is because of what God has done for you and me That is why James can so boldly say, this is what pure and undefiled religion looks like, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. And you might have some concerns about just the thought of having foster kids in your home or in your church. Maybe one of yours is, you know, what will my own kids be exposed to? Maybe it is, Yeah, but like the heartache that would come when they leave. I can tell you there is a price to pay for being foster parents. You guys have been walking with us on this journey. For those that don't know, we started back in December. We're in a program where we have foster kids just for a short time, a couple weeks to maybe a few months, and then we know they're going to be placed. And I have to tell you, Because I'm just being honest. There is a cost associated with it. It is an emotional, there's an emotional toll that takes place. We have four foster kids right now. Like, life is just not convenient for us. The volume in our house is like, it's just constantly up here. The stress level I mean, there's yelling and crying and tantrums, and that's just me and Pilar. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, these kids wake up at 7 15 every day. And that's when it starts. And a lot of times, like, it's not even like they're misbehaving, it's just their four young kids, ages two, three, five, and six. Like, you got to be watching these kids. And the little two year old man he can be so sweet and even but even when he's being sweet it can just be annoying like we just can't get a break in the house and he adores my wife you know he he he's still learning to speak right and so he doesn't call me west he calls me Awe, away away <laughs> and he he doesn't call pilar pilar he what does he call you Allah. Allah. <laughs> so he goes away where's Allah? You know, she took Gabby to her friend's house. Why? Because Gabby needed a ride to her friend's house. Why? Because she's going to go spend the night over there. Oh! <laughs> and he'll walk away. And then I'm not, 26 later, I'll wait. Where's Allah? <laughs> like, he does not stop. He's just, you know, he's sweet. But he, like, there's, there's just no break. You want to talk about heartbreaking mainly because it's, it, it's an emotional toll. The five-year-old boy. few nights a week. I don't even know what time it is because I'm, I'm out maybe one in the morning. He wakes up. We, we are awakened to the sound of him screaming and crying. That's probably four times a week. He Every night before we even go upstairs to bed, he says, Mr. West, will you keep your door open? Because our bedroom, you know, diagonally across the hallway is the room he sleeps in. And so we get up and we look and he's, he's sitting up in bed just screaming, and sometimes our response is compassionate, but then sometimes I'm the one who gets up and handles it, you know? <laughs> and, and the sweet three-year-old girl, I mean, it's about heartbreaking, I mean, every now and then usually at night time but sometimes it's just in the middle of the day i don't know she'll just go i miss my mommy she'll just start crying talking about sacrifice my boy sitting right here 12 years old he gave up his bedroom he sleeps on a mat in gabby's room like date nights with my wife like they don't happen anymore we don't even have, like, family time is just lacking, you know? So, so it's time-consuming, you know, our, our personal relationships within the family have definitely, you know, taken a hit. But don't get me wrong, there's also great joy in this. We took the kids to see their parents last Saturday. Their dad had been incarcerated, so I hadn't seen him for several months, and so I get to the park and the kids get out and the, the mom and dad turn the corner <coughs> and the dad calls the five-year-old boy and he, the dad gets on and he just throws his arms open and to see from behind the five-year-old just running full speed and just, you know, leaps into his daddy's arms. You know, like you, you get those, you get to see those moments, you know? And little Bella, while we're you know singing she just looks up at me you know like she's definitely the more affectionate of them but I, I you know I'm just going to be honest with you and I appreciate Jessica and to being honest like there is there is a cost there, and it's on multiple levels but when we consider the cost the price that was paid for us to become sons and daughters of the king It's nothing. It it is it. It's the least we can do. As Jessica said, like we are just so blessed, you know. But caring for foster kids doesn't mean you have to take them into your own home. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to speak out of Psalm ten. You know, we it speaks so so clearly for God's heart for the fatherless. Like that is Alamo Stone's heart. It is for the fatherless. Not just those who've taken foster kids into their, into their homes, but, man, like just the love and encouragement and support that you have given to the Devereaux's, to us, to the Edwardses, that the hearts will be receiving. Some of you are teachers. Kevin, Tristan, Donnie. Like you have fatherless kids in your classroom that God has called you to minister to. So part of why I wanted to share Psalm 10 is quite honestly to kind of celebrate what God is doing through Alamo Stone. And to say thank you for how you're helping the Devereaux and the Edwardses and the Flins. I'm i going to be honest, man. Like We've gone from, you know, we started with a 15-year-old girl from El Salvador, and we've had other kids through, and now we, we took on these four local kids on May 1st. <laughs> and I think Plata and I would both just, in total honesty, say to you, we bit off more than we could chew. I mean, we absolutely bit off more than we could chew. But you know what? We didn't bite off more than the church could chew. And so we thank you, God. Like, we love you and just love what God is doing here at Alamos Stone. And so, uh, Rob and Donna, I can tell you, you're gonna, this church will just lift you up when you start this journey um, as they have with us and the Devers and the Edwardses. So, Kevin, if you want to come on up, I will close this out in prayer. (sighs) Father God, we thank you for this night. God, we do just... Thank you so much that you are a defender and protector of the fatherless. And as your children, you've called us into that work. We want to reflect your character because we are your children. And so thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you have given us as a church family to just love on these kids. Father, we cannot help all 150 million, but we can help the ones that you bring into our church family. Father, thank you for giving us a hope and for giving them a hope. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.